Well, I'd invite you to take your Bibles out and uh, turn with me. We're in James chapter 3 this morning. And, um, you know, we've been, been singing about the grace of God, the beauty of God. And, and as I was singing at the top of my lungs and listening at the same time, um, it occurred to me that it is such a refreshing thing to come into this place where we can focus on the grace and beauty of God, because that's in such stark contrast to what we get from the world every single day. And that just occurred to me that what a true blessing it is to come and praise the name of God. We are in a series, the book of James, chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. Um, most Wednesdays, my, my son, he is an early riser like I am, and he has now taken it upon himself to be the official coffee maker of the family. I love that kid. <laughs> yeah, I get out of bed, I come downstairs, and it's ready to go. Most Wednesdays, though, he'll say, hey, Dad, you know what day it is? And, you know, by Wednesday, I'll have forgotten. He'll say, it's hump day. And... Uh, as I was thinking about this sermon, this is a seven-week series. This is week number four, so this is the hump day uh, message in this series. Um, we've already talked about um, James has approached our tongue in the words we say. I mean, chapter one, a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to become angry. And as part of that same message, uh, we read chapter 1, verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Well, that's pretty pointed right there. But James is just kind of getting the conversation ramped up on this whole tongue and uh, words that we use conversation with us. And... Um, he has a lot to say about how our words reveal uh, a lot about our spiritual maturity, or maybe immaturity. Um, I was raised on a few sayings that kind of go along with speech and how we use words against each other. I mean, you heard, sticks and stones will break my bones. I mean, that's, that's a total lie, right? And then there's the one, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. You've heard that one too, okay. Um, but if you pay attention to the news, if you pay attention to the internet and the newspapers and radio stations, um, it's kind of the opposite now, right? I mean, there's so much negative hate speech that's out there, it's, it's just sickening. I, I'm, I grow really weary of, of living in this culture where we are surrounded by words that I think both Jesus and James and the other apostles would just think are flat-out lethal. Our, our society is, is infected with poisonous and harmful and, and hateful words, and, and I grow weary of that. So today, um, I had all sorts of sermon titles that I thought would be appropriate, most Bibles in this section of James, the, 
the heading is Taming the Tongue. I mean, we could use that because it's pretty straightforward. But I thought Bombs and Blessings was better. Um, and you, in the context of a message on how we use our words, you know what I mean when I say bombs, right? Um, our word bombs can just destroy people. And yet, out of the same mouths, we are encouraged to speak blessings and life into people. And so we're going to talk about bombs and blessings. And uh, bombs, James is going to use the word cursing or curses. And you know what I mean by that, right? I'm not talking about just swearing. Some of you are like, okay, good. (laughs) Um, Cursing is diminishing somebody else's character. Cursing is speaking negativity. Cursing is never having anything nice to say. Cursing is profanity. Cursing is all of that negative speech that we use. You know, James has talked um, about how our faith in Jesus should lead us to works of righteousness. That we are so moved and changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that it works its way out into how we live and how we treat each other. And so how we talk fits into that works category. Our speech is part of that faith and works that it fits into the works category. So I'd ask, I'd invite you to stand with me. I'm going to read the first 12 verses of, of chapter 3 and then uh, we'll see how far we get in talking about it. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Maybe I should stop right there. Um, if, I, if I have a moment of just total honesty, that verse kind of scares me a little bit because that's what I'm called to do is to teach the word of the Lord. And this is just an awesome privilege that I get. But anybody who is tasked with teaching and called to that, and you run across this verse, um, you better just stop preparing words to say and just get down on your all fours in front of the throne of God and pray. So this, this message took a long time to develop because I couldn't get by verse 1. Because there's so much gravity that comes with standing up here and, and teaching the word of the Lord um, praying that God would fill me with the words that he wants to tell you, um, that's weighty. So I just, would you pray with me for a minute? Father, we, uh, we're in your presence and, you know, we're starting to read the text and, and I just pray that uh, as we were singing a few moments ago, that you would open the eyes of our hearts. I just pray for each person here that we would be open and receptive to the prompting of your spirit, to the words that you want to speak to us. And Lord, help me to listen to you and say exactly what you would like uh, me to say. Say the things that, that we all need to hear, whether they're easy or not. We thank you for your grace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's verse one. Verse two, we all stumble in many ways, amen? 
Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. That's probably as far as we should go. So, word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. We have a rule in our house. We don't like to stick our tongues out at each other, so that's off limits. And if out of anger you stick your tongue out at another member of the family, we get out the bottle of Tabasco sauce. My kids really don't like really spicy stuff. Me, I can get away with it. I like Tabasco sauce, so (laughs) bring it on. I'm kidding. But we have this rule, you know, you don't stick your tongues out at other people in the house out of anger. It's just mean and rude. Except I was reading this week that if you, re- if you really want to use that as a way to get at people, like just to express your angst at them, move to Tibet. If you live in Tibet, it's actually polite that you stick your tongue out at your guests. Who would have known? You know much about the tongue? I learned a little bit about the tongue this week. The tongue is made up of eight different muscles. You know, sometimes you hear that the tongue is the strongest muscle in the body. That's, I think that's uh, fabricated. I don't, I don't think that's true, but it is a strong muscle. It's one of the only muscles that we have that's not attached to our skeletal structure. Things you learn in church, right? We have 10,000, 8 to 10,000 taste buds on our tongue. 50% of the bacteria in your mouth lives on your tongue. Lovely. Your tongue is what helps you shape sounds into words. So it's, it's very vital to our uh, existence for communicating, but you also could not live without your tongue. We can't live with, with, without it. Um, you've probably heard sayings like, well, you need to hold your tongue, right? Or button your lip. Um, or I'm going to give you a tongue lashing. There's so many sayings that, have, that are out there that have to do with the words that we speak and the way that we speak them. Um, our, our tongues have this way of spewing just all sorts of poison. And uh, 
James is not afraid to, to deal with that in his text. Uh, there are, I hope your reading is going well, challenges to read the book of James four times each week, so over the series, that's like 28 times. Um, that's challenging because James has hard words for us, but it's good. So you probably know that there's 108 verses in the book of James. And uh, if you do a close count, there are 46 of them that have to do with the words that we speak or, or how we say them. So 46% of what James tells us has to do with how we communicate and, and words that we, that we use. And I learned this early on in life that <clears throat> what you say and how you say it is critically important. You know, if we were in, in my house of origin... Mom and Dad, I love you dearly, and I know you're going to watch this, but this really got to me. They're watching on video. Um, <clears throat> so if we sassed our parents or, you know, just used our words in inappropriate ways, the, the punishment that was out there was you're going to have your mouth washed out with a bar of soap. I mean, any of you in that vintage, you know? Yeah, okay. Do you like the taste of dial? It's disgusting. I learned this lesson the hard way. Um, there were just times you can't hold back what you want to say, and you just let it out, and okay, bring on the dial. Um, word, words are critically important. We need them to communicate, yet there's a healthy and an unhealthy way in which we use them. Uh, we use our words a lot. In fact, I've heard it said out there that probably 20 percent of the, our time on the planet, we spend it with our mouth open, talking. 20% of our time, we, we are expressing ourselves through words. And so as we look at James' words for us this morning, um, there's kind of three areas that, that I want to kind of categorize uh, our talk. The first one is the longest one, and that's bombs. And then I want to talk about a heart problem and then I want to talk about blessings. So, our words are really like bombs. I mean, we have choice words for lots of people. And I'm not just talking about words that we speak, but words that we type on Facebook or Twitter or that we just spew out there through email or things that we forward that probably aren't true. Those, those are all words that are credited to our account. And in today's word, world, um, one word out of place, uh, one lie, one rumor can ruin a career, can destroy somebody's reputation. One word out of place can do that. Be because we just keep our words in front of each other so often now. There's a long memory. Once it's out there on the internet, it doesn't go away. Once you have spoken it out loud, you can't unsay it. And so one word, one rumor, one lie, one gossip, one piece of slander about somebody else can ruin a career, can destroy their reputation, and just damage them. And uh, our society is, is really quick to accuse these days. And our society is becoming slower and slower to forgive, and even slower yet to forget. And James acknowledges that, you know, we have a problem with this. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. 
And he's observing the difficulty that we face uh, in, in avoiding mistakes with, with our words. And I'm really glad that he puts that verse in there as he's talking about this because he knows, hey, we're going to have a hard time with this. It's just part of who we are. But, he says, we can tame the tongue, not on our own accord. Our words can be hurtful. They can be mean, critical, cynical. Words can be insensitive. They can be arrogant. They can be judgmental. We use our words like wrecking balls oftentimes that are disparaging and debilitating and destructive and damaging. We launch these word missiles. We launch these word bombs on people. And the only intent is to seek and destroy the target. And, and oftentimes, um, we, we lob these bombs outside of our maybe immediate circle. So anybody who differs with us socially or politically or religiously, we just let them have it because that's what we can do. But all too often, we use these word bombs to just diminish and demean and belittle those who are closest to us. You know, think about, just think back through history. Think of all of the horrible human atrocities that have happened in our world that were stirred up by words, by an agenda, by somebody's rhetoric. Words that created fear, words that were spoken so that we would label people as subhuman and make them slaves, words that spark genocide, words do a lot of damage. Proverbs, I think it's 12, 18, describes a reckless person um, as one who uses their word to thrust a sword. And James makes it impossible for us to underestimate the significance of our words. There are no such thing as just mere words. I mean, if you think about it, God, like the third verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-3, then we get a string of them, and God said. God speaks things into existence. He created us to be people who use words and, and communicate. We're made in, in God's image. And our words aren't quite as powerful as the word of God, but, but they aren't too far behind. However small they seem, they have huge and long-lasting impact. James describes this in uh, verses 3 and, and following. He talks about small instruments that have great effects, like a big horse is controlled by a, a small bit, or a great ship is steered by this small rudder, even, even when there's gale force winds on it. The pilot can steer the course of the boat with just a small rudder. And the tongue, though small, has powerful and, and great effects. But I want to... James uses like seven different word pictures in the text we read. Maybe because he knows that to, for us to understand it and take it seriously, he needs to talk in these word pictures so that it kind of relates it to something else so it's not like this you know, punch in the gut, although it comes across like that. And I want you to try this one on for size. My, my uh, former pastor, mentor, 
really close friend, Dan Boone. He's currently the president at Trevecca. I remember sitting in, in, uh, in his congregation at College Church in Illinois, and I remember him, I think it was maybe a message on Proverbs or something, the words that we speak. And he talked about the words, um, he talked about going to a place called Piranha Pond. And he used Piranha Pond as a way to describe how we use our words. And so, I don't remember everything that he said, but I wanted to just maybe explore that metaphor for a few minutes. Um, Piranha Pond is this place that's out there in the world. Sometimes, tragically though, it's a place that's in churches. Um, I think that you have visited Piranha Pond before. I think you've probably even lived there for a while too. Piranha Pond looks like a nice lake, nice body of water, peaceful, calm, a place where you can swim and refresh yourself. You can boat. I hear the fishing's pretty good, so if you want to get your line wet, you can. The place where you can just kick back and unwind and relax and enjoy life. That's what Piranha Pond looks like. But you've got to beware because it's a deadly place. Uh, it's stocked with piranhas. And if you know anything about piranhas, they're actually a really pretty fish. They're kind of oval in shape, bluish, silver, uh, kind of look like a, like a, if you could turn a fish, a bulldog into a fish, a piranha would kind of look like that, flat face. And, but they're really beautifully covered and had some uh, orange, orangish color on, on their bellies, and they're kind of sleek looking. They swim around in, in schools. Actually, I think a, a school of piranhas is called a shoal. Um, they look rather harmless. They aren't really big fish. They range in size from, oh, say the size of a human tongue up to, you know, 20 inches or so. So they're not big. But these fish have a tendency to bite. They are aggressive. They like to attack. They have razor-sharp teeth that are designed to keep growing. They cycle their teeth throughout their life. They're always growing new teeth. And the teeth are designed to rip flesh. And, you know, if you, uh, if you look up the name piranha, it actually means, literally, toothfish. They swarm, they're aggressive, especially if there's blood in the water. They're mean. But if you isolate one piranha fish, like if you take, if you get a piranha and you put it in an aquarium at home, it loses its aggressiveness. It becomes more docile. But piranha fish prey on the weak. When they see a floundering fish that's struggling, they swarm and they just devour. Any sign of weakness, any sign of vulnerability, any sign of struggle, and the frenzy is on. 
Time to eat. Piranha Pond is a really tough place for injured people. If you've had a recent struggle in your life, if you've been let go from your job, if your kids are acting all out and running with the wrong crowd, if you've gone through a divorce or you're, or you're on the brink of one, if your self-esteem is fragile and, and, or if you've failed at something, watch out. The piranhas are out there. They'll get a hold of that information and just eat you alive. Piranhas are nasty fish. Don't be one. If you want to survive in Piranha Pond, you've got to put on the false front. You have to get that fake plastic smile out everywhere you go and wear that around. You've got to suck it up. You've got to harden your emotions, become this stoic person, and act like everything's just fine and dandy. There's no limping. There's no floundering. You can't admit failure. There's no showing any kind of weakness. And if you do, it's your dead meat. You'll just get eaten alive. It's sad what happens to people in Piranha Pond. They become jaded. They become emotionless. They're no longer genuine and, and authentic people. When, when you live in fear of the piranhas, you swim through life with your defenses up all the time. It's really sad that we do this to each other. It's really tragic when we become one of the piranha fish. But it's not just the weak that the piranhas go after. They have the Napoleon syndrome. They will go after bigger, stronger prey as well. There's no leader, there's no politician who is immune from their attack. There's no person of position or power or wealth that is safe. Piranhas will tear into them too if they differ in their belief structure. See, there's lots of skeletons that are at the bottom of Piranha Pond. And anyone who has survived a piranha attack can tell you all about it. They can show you the open wounds that they might have, and they can show you the scars that are just beginning to heal over. Do you have any of those scars? Piranha ponds are everywhere. They can be as small as your cell phone. They can be the size of the the little table at the diner where you have breakfast. They can be as big as the coffee shop in town. They can be as large as your workplace or as large as your school. Piranha ponds are everywhere of all shapes and sizes. There really should be signs that are posted, but there aren't, there aren't any warning signs. Piranhas have this way of sometimes attacking anonymously. They have this way of attacking from the safety of their couch through their computer or talking behind your back on the telephone lines or in line at the grocery store. Hey, did you hear about They lie. 
They embellish the truth. They gossip. They slander. Piranhas really get each other worked up into a frenzy. But you'll find that for all of the power and aggressiveness that, that they have and that they display and that they front, they're really insecure fish. If you isolate one of them uh, about what, and ask them and confront them about what they said or what they did, they'll, they'll quickly back down and maybe deny that they said anything in the first place or, you know, well, it really wasn't that big of a deal. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't tell the whole story. Trying to cover their tracks. Apart from the pack, they, they lose this aggressiveness. And I think piranha fish really have a hard time finding meaning in life. They're, they're often empty. They're often envious of, of others. And they have to tear other people down just to make themselves feel better. They have to cut somebody else down to size so that they feel larger and, and more important. They're really sad little creatures, if you ask me. Sad little creatures with strong, powerful jaws and huge appetites that are never, ever satisfied. Their only security is in swimming in the shoal with, with the others, with the other fish who think and act and behave just like they do. But watch out. Piranhas sometimes turn on their own. See, these piranha ponds are, are where you'll find uh, all of the words that James is talking about as being damaging. The ones that we would put in the curse category. Their piranha ponds are places of death and devastation. Places where James says you'll find a whole lot of wickedness. A whole world of wickedness. A place where, figuratively speaking, uh, tongues... Uh, your tongue will set your whole life on fire. Have you been there? Have you participated as a piranha fish? Yeah, me too. Small fish, huge damage. Small tongue, massive destruction. Small causes have huge negative results. Small sparks set off whole forests on fire. And so the tongue has this effect throughout our whole body. I brought a tube of toothpaste here. Tyler, are you in here? Where are you at, buddy? You've probably seen this before. So how long do you think it will take Tyler to squeeze this entire tube of toothpaste onto this plate? You think you can do it in 10 seconds? Come on up here. All right, so you, anybody say, do you think you can do it in less than 10 seconds? Yeah? No? Okay, we have a, they're challenging your manhood, buddy. All right, so I'm going to hold the plate, and I'll say, ready, set, go. I think you did it. All right, I got one more thing for you to do, okay? Will you, um, can you put that back in the tube for me? <laughs> Come on, faster. You got 10 seconds. Is that going to work? No. Is that going to work? No? All right, thank you. Would you like that? You want to brush your teeth? No. <laughs> Maybe I should.
I'm going to set this right here. You, you may have seen that before, but once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you're not putting it back. It's like our words. Once you let loose lies and slander and gossip and hurtful words, you can't unsay them ever. You can't go around to everybody who you've hurt and collect all those words and shove them back in your mouth. Once the spark is set, the forest fire is set on fire. And once our firefighters in here will attest to this, yes, you can put the fire out, but what's left? A lot of charred remains. It's devastating. And every time that we let loose words like this, there's no way that we can gather them all back and unsay them. The damage is already done. You may be deeply sorry that you did it, but you can never unsay it. Our words are like bombs, small yet really explosive. So I said the next thing we want to talk about is it's really a heart problem. If you have a tongue problem, you have a heart problem. Jesus says that what comes out of our mouth proceeds directly, not from our stomach, what comes out of our mouth proceeds directly from our hearts. What we say speaks volumes about how mature we are or not mature we are as followers of Jesus. The Bible makes this connection between our mouth and our heart. If you have a problem with swearing, that's not a problem with your mouth, it's a problem in your heart. If you tend to say things that are mean and critical and sarcastic, that's not a problem with your mouth, it's a problem in your heart. If you tend to exaggerate things and blow things out of proportion and twist and bend the truth, that's not a problem with your mouth, that's a problem in your heart. If you tend to say things that you think people want to hear but aren't necessarily uh, real and things that need to be said, it's not a problem with your mouth, it's a problem in your heart. What you say has a direct connection to your heart. If you are filled with rage and anger and hate, that's going to come out of your mouth. If you're filled with depression, And sadness, that's going to come out of your mouth. If you're filled with joy, that's going to bubble up and overflow. And Jesus says, Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and and 37, he, he talks about we will be held accountable for every word that we speak. And we will be we will be judged by every word that comes out of our mouth. So when we are talking about our tongue and and our words, our words are like bombs, but it really touches on the fact that if, if, if we are not good with what we say, it's really a reflection of the condition of our heart. But fortunately, God is a really good heart doctor. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 36, and I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Paul talks to the church. He writes to the church in Corinth and he says, 
If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Our old, infected, troubled, sinful, blackened heart, God takes away and he puts a new one in that is open and responsive to him. One, he comes in and he, and he, he has this ability to transform our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be set free from old habits and old addictions and old patterns of behavior and old patterns of speech. God is a great heart doctor. And if you struggle with your words, maybe you just need to give that to him. Say, I need help. It's got to be a heart issue, God. Will you heal it? And if you need a new heart, pray for that too. He will give it to you. With this new heart, with this healed heart that God gives us and his strength, we can learn to use our tongue to praise God and to build people up around us. We can become blessing people. Our words are like bombs. It's reflective of a problem that we have deep within our hearts. And when we are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can become blessing people. And here's what I really love about the Word of God, is, is that the Word of God doesn't just give us a long list of things like, don't do this, don't do that. What the Word of God does is it, it gives us a better way. God loves us and cares for us so much that He says, Yes, these are things that you probably don't want to do. I don't want you to do these things. But he doesn't just keep our attention focused on the negative. He also says, these are things that you probably should practice in their place. That's what I love about God's Word. Is it doesn't just tell me to stay away from this. He points our focus over here. Do these things, he says. The trouble is that um, we don't always listen. When we get coaching... Sometimes we just say, nah, that's not for me. I remember a few years back, there was a couple that I was working with on their finances. They were having some financial challenges. They needed some financial counseling. They couldn't afford to go somewhere for a financial counselor. They knew that I had experience in the business world, and they said, Dave, do you think you could help us with our finances? Absolutely. I love doing stuff like that. So, through the course of the conversation, you know, we're talking about all of the negative patterns of behavior that they were in and spending money that they didn't have on credit cards and just letting stuff pile up and, and, and while at the same time that they couldn't afford certain, you know, necessities in life, they were going on these, you know, they were going on these grandiose, exotic kinds of vacations and just spending stuff they didn't have and I had to say, knock it off. You can't do that. you got to cut up the credit cards. But I didn't just tell them, don't do this. I gave them a strategy. I gave them some better ways. Like, why don't you start, you know, when you spend money, pay it in cash. And when your cash is gone, you're done for the month. You know, give them several tools. The problem was they didn't, they didn't want to do that hard work. And so every time they'd come back, hey, Dave, we're having financial issues. Well, did you do the things that I told you that you might want to? Well, no, we didn't get around to that. 
Well, I'm not going to give you any new pieces of advice. Do the basics I told you. It, sometimes it's hard for us. And, and so when James tells us that we shouldn't be talking like this, um, he does give us a better way. The problem is it requires a lot of hard work, and we're not often willing to go through the pain and struggle of doing the hard work. James gives us this better picture. Look at verse 11. He gives us this better way. He gives us, he gives us this word picture uh, about fresh water and salt water. Now, you know that you can't live on salt water alone. If you were to, to just keep consuming salt water, what happens is your body has to use a certain amount of fresh water in the system to help purge the salt water out of your system. And so you dehydrate yourself, and eventually you're going to die. So negative, mean, salty, angry, language, gossip, lying, they're all like salt water. They'll dehydrate you. They'll kill you. The result will be the death of something. But fresh water, fresh water brings life. And James gives us this vision of a, of a better way. He says, you can use your words to bring life. You can become a spring of fresh and living water. And, and so when God purifies your heart, he purifies your speech. And so what gushes forth from you is actually blessing that, that speaks life into the people around you. See, James knows the power of the gospel. He knows this message of salvation, and he knows that it has the power to transform us, and he knows that the Holy Spirit can do this cleansing work in you so that only fresh and sweet water comes up from within you. And it's not just James who, who thinks this way. This kind of advice uh, is littered throughout all of the Bible. I mean, flip back over a few pages to your left. Um, find uh, Ephesians with me, and we're uh, going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul talks about this too. I'll find it. Ephesians 4, 29. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. No, excuse me, that's verse 20. 29. Clean my glasses. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but build others up. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of, so don't be bitter, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. And here's the instruction, the better way. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Don't do this, but this would be a really good thing for you to do. Be kind and compassionate and gracious and forgiving to one another. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Not only does Paul say, don't, you know, stay away from this. Don't do it. It's rotten. It's bad. It's like a piranha over here. But what you should do is be kind and compassionate and gracious. Bombs over here, but you know what? You really can become people of blessing. Couples who struggle communicating with one another could really benefit from this one right here. 
When you're tempted to dump the bucket of poison on your partner and unload that word bomb that's just going to take them down, stop. Stop. Control yourself. Button your lip. Whatever metaphor you need to use, stop. But then remember that there's another side to that. Pour out blessing. Speak encouragement. Speak life. Be a, be a fresh water, sweet, bubbling spring to your spouse. Imagine how it might transform your conversations and improve your relationships. Our words ought to be healing. Our words ought to be encouraging. Our words ought to build one another up in love. We ought not to take the things we know about each other to the piranha pond. We ought not to tear apart public figures. So I'm, I, I just wonder, would you covenant with me? No bombs, only blessings. Would you be willing to covenant on that? We are in the thick of campaign season right? And it's only going to get thicker between now and November. It's going to get ugly. But the people of God should not be launching missiles and bombs with our words or our Facebook or our Twitter or the things that we email. Would you covenant not to do that? And would you covenant with me that when you're tempted to do that, would you type or speak or say something nice about the person that you were just about to destroy? You can have your opinions. James is not saying that we need to to neuter our opinions and not have them or ever speak truth, but we can do it in a way that speaks life and not death. No bombs, only blessings. And would you covenant that those of you who are in marriage relationships right now, would you covenant with the same thing, no bombs, when you're tempted to just drop that missile and, and belittle and demean your partner, w- would you remember what James says and say, you know, I'm going to speak love and life into you? Are you in for that? That was not really <laughs> emphatic. I know you're thinking about it. I don't know, that's a tall order, Pastor Dave. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. Um, that's probably as far as we, that we are going to get uh, this morning, and, and, and that's okay. But that's, that's really the main point. We, our words are bombs, can be bombs. And it's not, uh, it's not a mouth problem necessarily. It's a, it's a heart problem, right? But James does give us a better way. We can become people who pour out blessings. So as you're reading through the book of James, will you remember that? No bombs, only blessings. The people of God said, amen.